episode is brought to you by Fangoria Magazine. Fangoria Magazine is back in a deluxe 100-page quarterly edition. Each issue includes set visits, deep dives, new discovery, and minimal ads, all printed on collectible-grade paper stock that reimagines the classic magazine for a 2019 audience. You'll see familiar names like Mike Gingold and Tony Timpone, and you'll see bylines that will make your eyeballs pop out of your head, like Barbara Crampton and S. Craig Zoller. And the best part? It's in print only. Go to Fangoria.com to subscribe today. That's Fangoria.com. This episode of Nightmare University is also brought to you by Diabolic DVD. For over 15 years, Diabolic DVD has been the source for cult, horror, and weird cinema to customers all around the world. Diabolic offers a one-stop shopping experience for all your favorite labels, including Arrow, Synapse, Vinegar Syndrome, Severin, Mondo Macabro, Blue Underground, 88, and many more from all corners of the globe. Whether you're looking for the definitive version of Suspiria or trying to upgrade your crusty old DVD of Cannibal Holocaust, Diabolic DVD is the owner-operated small business choice for all of the demented discs you have been craving. Visit them online at DiabolicDVD.com. Hello, and welcome to Nightmare University on the Fangoria Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca McKendry. I'm a horror historian, a film professor at USC, and I've worked with Fangoria for over 15 years now in various roles. I'm super excited about tonight's show because it's one of my absolute favorite subgenres, but also a subgenre that truly represents a very specific time and place heavy metal horror films. I've always, even since my adolescent years, been just as much a heavy metal fan as I was a horror fan. It makes total sense that metal and horror have had countless intersections throughout history. When heavy metal was first moving to the forefront in the 1970s, it was controversial, wild, and transgressive as an alternative to disco and easy listening norms. As it became a powerhouse genre in the 1980s, themes of Satanism, violence, and terrifying content in general became the normality for it. Whether I was staring at Megadeth and Ozzy album covers, studying the amazing horror imagery, rocking out to Iron Maiden's Killers, or mesmerized by the horror stage shows of Alice Cooper and King Diamond— For me, as a kid, the connections in thematic material between heavy metal and horror shined like a rainbow in the dark. And then came the heavy metal horror movies. Some of them were major releases like Nightmare on Elm Street's three generous use of Dokken, or even down to smaller titles like Trick or Treat, Rock and Roll Nightmare, or Monster Dog. This subgenre was very much of the 1980s, and though there have been some heavy metal horror movies during subsequent decades, they never saw the gusto and pure saturation that we saw during the 1980s metal years. So please join myself, my metal-loving husband, David Ian McKendry, and Brendan Small, who is a diehard metal fan and creator of the hit show Metalocalypse, as we journey through the wild, loud, and often hairsprayed world of heavy metal horror films. Hello, I am Dr. Rebecca McKendry, and welcome to Fangoria Presents Nightmare University. I am joined tonight by Brendan Small. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you us. for having me. And you know him because he created um, home movies, but also Metalocalypse. Yeah, so movies and metal, right? Totally. Movies and metal. That's all I care about, right? I think so. I don't I think, think I care about anything else. But you're also kind of a metal expert in general. I'm not an expert in anything. I just, I'm, I know what I like a lot, and that's about it. I don't know anything beyond that. And you and I have definitely geeked out on metal horror yes, before. We have. So, yes, yes. yeah. So you were perfect to kind of venture 
venture into heavy metal horror with me. And for this one, I also brought along David Ian McKendry. Dragged me along. Dragged you along for this one. No, glad to be here. Very happy because. The subject matter is is near and dear to my heart as well. Yeah, this is uh, heavy metal in general is kind of what brought Dave and I together in the first really? place. Really? So yeah. what was the heavy metal that brought you guys together? Honestly, I think it was maybe Dokken. Nice. Uh, Which Dokken? Yeah. It was whatever we were singing. Maybe oh, Heaven it Sent? Was the, um, I still have the album, the, the vinyl, the the hand coming up from the uh, the water. Um that was hand, the hand water the album. Hand uh, water the album. Uh, that was the self-titled one, I think. But it was um, there was a car trip that we took in college together, like a road trip, and it was like an overnight thing. And I don't even know where we were going, maybe Florida or something mm-hmm. like that. And we'd only been dating for a little bit at the time, but we ended up singing heavy metal to each other the entire way. There was a lot of pretty cool. Megadeth. Yeah. There was a nice. lot of Motorhead. Nice. And um, but Dokken was the one. I huh? think. Yeah, I remember. Like, I remember. Who a likes Dokken that much? <laughs> I love Dokken. I like Dokken. You know, I got to, one time I got to have dinner with a bunch of really cool guitar players from Guitar Player Magazine Mm -hmm. for some events, and uh, I was seated right next to George Lynch, so I got to hang out with him all night. It's like George Lynch and Jennifer Batten, who played with Michael Jackson, and... uh, (laughs) Oh, man, there were a lot of people there, but wow. George Lynch was one of them. He's nice. a great guitar player. That's awesome. Yeah. No, we definitely sang a lot of hair metal We that did night. Uh, Rat. I think we also sang a lot of Rat that night. Some round and round. on that. Yeah. Sure, yeah. sure, No, sure. and I know some Twisted Sister, because later on, when I first started working at Fangoria, I um, was kind of Dee Snyder's assistant when he was really? doing Fangoria Radio. We ended up, we met Joey Belladonna through that. Sure. And, um, yeah. So, and, and uh, then. And we, I got uh, Dee Snyder to sign my uh, Come Out and Play album. Yeah. That I've had <laughs> cool. since, like, yeah. middle school. But then all that moved into us directing music, heavy metal music. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so we we definitely um so I, I figured Dave definitely needed to join for this one as well. Thank you for having so me. So tonight we are going to be discussing um a, a very niche subgenre of horror, but one that I absolutely fucking love. And that is the heavy metal horror film, which yeah. most people think as kind of this little enclave of film that happened in the 1980s. But right. there are definitely some kind of send outs that we've seen throughout history and that we're still seeing today. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think of heavy metal and horror being like kind of two sides of the same coin because mm-hmm. I, I think they kind of both get a bum rap in general. Not, Completely. you know, like, like the smarty pants just think they're a better than heavy metal and horror. But Heavy metal and horror both allow an artist to say, to kind of have a very strange conversation, a very unique conversation that normally no other genre will allow for it to happen. I think like, you know, you think about movies like Scanners and stuff and and you think about, you know, these movies that are kind of horror, but they're these psychological thriller things, but they all kind of function underneath this genre of horror. Mm -hmm. And... I don't know if you listen, like there's so many crazy genres and subgenres of heavy metal, death metal, folk metal, all kinds of crazy stuff. I can't stuff. even keep up with all of them. A and, lot of, they keep yeah. splitting up. There's sci- science fiction metal. There's like all kinds of crazy stuff that. I really want to listen to science fiction metal. Now. I make science fiction metal. I oh, have, like, okay. I, I have heard it then. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yes. It's just what you're talking about and the stories that you want to tell. The Galact, like I'm sorry. Galacticon, I'm, that's Galacticon. right. Galacticon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I listen to so, that. So, that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I put out a record that's a story about a high-stakes intergalactic divorce. <laughs> Redemption stories. It's the craziest <laughs> thing. Like, I can't do that in 
pop music or anything. I can only like, do like, okay, it's heavy metal first. And secondly, here's a weird thing I want to do. I love so, it. It's like a sci-fi uh, metal concept album. I That's know. Really cool. I know. I know. What else am I going to do? That's write right. a song about my feelings? No, I'm going to write <laughs> stupid <laughs> stories and things. Yeah, because there's a lot of those concept albums that like uh, King Diamond had a concept Oh, album. yeah. Abigail. Yeah. These are concept They're all concept yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. They yeah. are. So King Diamond, yeah. And I, yeah. King Diamond, I think those are movies. You know, mm -hmm. I think that those are like, and then I think about yeah. Cannibal Corpse, like those are slasher films. Each one of these songs oh are their own like two minute and 45 second slasher films that are just like the craziest part of a slasher mm -hmm. film, all like musically put together. I mean, these guys write songs with medical dictionaries and rhyming dictionaries next to each other. So it's really fun to see. <laughs> and I am a huge, huge fan. It's exciting. It's, yeah. and it's frightening. rhymes with gallbladder. I know, I know. They, they have something. They matter. probably do. Yeah. Matter. <laughs> so. so anyway, so, so I guess my point is that you get to do... Uh, you kind of get to do whatever you want in these cool genres. You can be as artistic as you want to. You can be like kind of just crazy and boneheaded if you want to. Or yeah, you can you can do whatever you want. And I think that um, going back to the history a little bit, that we both kind of, for both of them, that they were kind of becoming more and more transgressive right around the same time period. Right, right. And um, because we see like within horror, we see this very specific aesthetic in the 1970s where everything feels kind of naturalistic and like this news footage aesthetic where we're looking at things as like Last House on the Left or like sure. Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. where even the gore is made to feel kind of realistic. And then yeah, horror yeah. starts pushing into this kind of unnatural, more kind of synthesized, um, over-the-top performative phase when we get into the 1980s. And I feel like metal was kind of doing the same thing as we start moving into like Alice Cooper. Sure. And everything starts getting more and more performative. I mean, Alice Cooper was like literally performing horror shows every single Oh, yeah. Concert. He was doing like a live beheadings on stage. He had a, a guillotine and all those things. Well, I would even go back before that to Black Sabbath that was named oh, yeah. after Black Sabbath. Mm -hmm. uh, was it Fulci? Is that... Uh, Baba. The Baba, the yeah. Mario Baba, right? Mm -hmm. So, so they just saw Marquee and they're like, "We, that's a cool name. We should be." So they named themselves after a horror film by Mario Baba. Was was Ozzy a fan or just saw it and was like, "That's a badass." They're name. nerds who like scary <laughs> movies. <laughs> I love it. That's what they all. Here's the big thing: they're not scary. They like they're like us. They're they're guys that nerd out on on scary things and it's fun it's fun to create that everyone's a carnival barker trying to get like hey, ooh, come and see the the bearded lady inside everyone's like a everyone's uh trying to create a mystique and it's all theater and it's all fun you know mm -hmm. and i loved how that kind of um did come to fruition in kind of the late 70s even with mm -hmm. like Kiss coming into play and they were one of the first ones that i feel like kind of did the metal horror crossover with Kiss, Kiss meets the, the Phantom, Phantom of the, of the Park. Park. Oh, okay, yeah. which I saw on TV, which is crazy. Speaking of animation, too, an animation company pro produced that, Filmation, who would later be oh known gosh, for... Oh, my gosh, He-Man. He-Man, exactly. <laughs> Previously, Flash Gordon, and I think they did a... What else did they do? They did, did they like, a Tarzan a cartoon also. Anyway, oh, so wow. Filmation produced that, and you can hear, like, all the same sound effects libraries that they use from <laughs> all that stuff. And that, that movie, or made-for-TV movie, or whatever it was, gave me fantastic nightmares really yeah i remember just because there are robots they turn into robots at mm -hmm. some point and i just remember thinking like this is scary and i kind of enjoy having these nightmares so yeah as we drift um further into the 1980s i think metal gets a little bit more extreme and everyone starts trying to become a little bit more transgressive a little bit more like 
mouth agape, oh my God, what are you talking about? Satanic. And right. everybody starts trying to push into this, you know, who can be more and more extreme area. Right. Well, I mean, um, people are the, you know, the idea of back, back masking, um, oh, happens so with, wonderful. with Ju yeah. Judas Priest and it's, and we'll probably cover some movies that do, uh, but remember when Judas Priest was on trial where a guy tried to like shoot himself, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And they tried to blame the bands. So they, they brought in Judas Priest and they said, Hey, you're, you guys made music that made this guy try to kill himself. And they're like, I think Rob Halford said like the best thing on the, the witness stand. He goes, if, if I were to backwards mask a message, why would I try to kill off my audience? Wouldn't the message be buy more Judas Priest records? <laughs> yeah. Which is very smart. Yeah, because yeah, he's like, why would I? I got a fan base. I got bills to pay. I don't want... Why would I want them? No. <laughs> the the kind of satanic panic fervor that was happening, we definitely saw then happening in horror as well, where it was kind of like, well, if heavy metal can do it, we can go devil too. We'll go full Satan as right, well. Right, right. And the two, that's where I really begin to see them intersecting. I mean, there were some some holdouts before that. Like, have you seen 1980s Terror on Tour? I have not. That's it's one of the ones. It's a little dry. That, is it? Yeah, it's only available on VHS. And somebody out there, I'm sure it's their favorite movie, and yes, they're going to yes. respond and be like, how dare you say that about sure. Terror on Tour? It's amazing. But I found it to be a little dry. Like, I think that there's a reason that it didn't kind of get into the the kind of collective of what we think of um, kind of the heavy metal horror films. But um, I think Rocktober Blood may be the first one um, that what I What year is that one? Because that's... 84. Really? Okay. Yeah. And I mean, I think that heavy metal animation came out in 81. And I definitely consider that to be horror. Heavy uh, metal, the movie. The movie. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Of course. There's there's some real strong horror elements in it. Although I don't know if it was considered such a time. It's funny because I look at that movie and I think it's got, <laughs> well, it's got nudity, which is awesome in cartoons. It's got uh, violence. You know, which is pretty awesome. And then it's got a ton of comedy because it's an Ivan Reitman movie at the end of the day, yeah. right? And you've got Eugene Levy and you've got John Candy and you've got, you know, all these crazy voices. But it also has some pretty crazy stuff at the yeah. end and David sexual and themes and all that stuff. We were arguing earlier tonight if it actually is heavy metal. I mean, aside from the yeah. Hagar song, we were like, it's Journey. It's uh, got... Vulgar. <laughs> yeah, it's got... It's got... Um, what's it? Steely Dan? Yep. Or it's... Um, <laughs> Blue Oyster Cult. Mm -hmm. It's got, uh, but it does have Sabbath. Okay. Mom it yeah. does have Sabbath. So it's got so. Sabbath, Dio era Sabbath. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So then we'll definitely classify It'll it fit. as hard. Yeah. And it does there. have Journey. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. There's yeah. some Journey in there. So open so I love that soundtrack. <laughs> so I love good. it. I love it all. I think we have yeah. the vinyl of that yeah. soundtrack. We do. We do. Um, so Rocktober Blood, um, which I didn't see until much, much later. Walk me through that one. I, I just, that's one that I have not seen nearly as much. I remember right. a guy turns kind of into like a werewolf creature. Um, okay. That's one that I don't remember loving as much. But Trick or Treat is definitely yes. when I came in and was like, this is fucking awesome and it's amazing. So Trick or Treat is the one that, um, oh, he gets a magical demo from a guy who basically sold his soul to the devil right yeah. so he's got it and if he plays it 
the guy kind of comes to life through the speakers, right? That would right? be Sammy Kerr. I'm wearing the shirt right now. Oh, so, oh yeah. yeah. That's, oh. that's also the one where Ozzy plays the anti-heavy metal guy. He plays like a PMRC yeah. kind of person. Yep. Because yeah. that, that whole um, Tipper Gore thing was kind of happening uh, parallel to that, where all the parents or the wives of the Republicans mm -hmm. were saying, no more, we have to put label warnings on this stuff. It's influencing kids. This music is... They gave music so much power and weight mm -hmm. that oh has not gosh. been given to music since or after. I would have been around eight at this time right, period. Right. And I was just starting to get into metal. I remember my babysitter's um, older son. He was probably 16. I would go over to the house and he was listening to Maiden and mm. all of this crazy stuff. And I absolutely loved it so much. So then I convinced my mom to buy me all of these albums, including I had Bark at the Moon sure. and just all of this crazy metal stuff, Warrant, and um, just a whole <laughs> wonderful assortment. Bark at the Moon, and, by the way, that album cover alone is heavy. That's like horror and heavy metal. Because it's beautiful. Ozzy's pretty terrifying as a werewolf. Diary of a Madman. So many yeah. of his covers were just so wonderfully horrific to begin yeah, he, with. He really loved to, but to go there. Yeah. I remember after Tipper Gore started her whole thing, I remember remember suddenly my mom took interest in these records that I had purchased right. and suddenly was like, what are you listening to? And I don't think she ever did anything. I was never mom... allowed to have them because I grew up in a very Christian house. So, really? so I had I had the the friend down the road that would get all that. Yeah. And then I'd go over there and listen to everything. And we still have um, when we were cleaning out your parents house a couple of years ago, oh, we found tapes. that the doorways to danger. Yeah, they, they had the uh, the speaker that was anti heavy metal. And my mom bought the tapes. Of it her, was like a whole series this, of tapes series of speaking engagements so so a person recorded themselves giving speeches about yeah. how heavy metal was bad yep yep oh, and, I'd like and to hear smurfs that. And, and smurfs, smurfs. there's a whole thing on ljn toys because it had this rainbow on it that they said was a symbol of the devil uh dungeons and dragons fit in the fitness category all these wow. things that i like you know which played with nice anyways. dungeons and dragons tattoo yeah, on your no, arm that's there, my Dave. defiance <laughs> was that a dodecahedron yeah. oh, that's pretty badass <laughs> so, you guys are real nerds we are oh, total yeah. nerds <laughs> see i think um, that's why you had the all the uh, the heavy metal people went crazy with partying yeah, they were nerds and they never got this before. Right, right. Just, but once they learned how to play their guitars, they got to yeah. finally engage. Yeah. But um, yes, I remember my mom suddenly taking this this sudden interest in all the music. But for some reason, she never stopped me from watching horror films. I could always watch mm. whatever I wanted. Um, Trick or Treat definitely had a huge impact on me. And from, that's uh, our friend Skippy. Yes. Family Ties, <laughs> who yeah. is the kind of kind of like it's it's really interesting because. He's the, he's an outcast, right? And mm -hmm. and most of these heavy metal stories, it's funny because when Metalocalypse, we would do these videos for the live show, and every once in a while we'd go, "What's a good video concept?" Oh, it's the outcast. It's this outcast that learns some kind of magic trick, you know. And you see him in videos. You see him like Dio videos and Rainbow and in the dark and things like that, where there's usually one kid who's like not getting things aren't going his way. It was used he, in a Nelson video as well, if I remember correctly. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> After sure, the rain, I'm sure you're right about <laughs> that. I Nelson. just remember him like "fuck you, dad," and then he's laying in his room and puts on Nelson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you get but, any more heavy than Nelson? No, but no, can. that was used yeah. over and over. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a yeah, trope. It so yeah, so trope. it's a repeating trope, and it's Skippy's character basically in in a trick or treat, right? Yes. Um, who else is in that? Is trick that or treat. Well, it's got um, Gene Simmons plays Nuke the DJ, um, if I remember correctly. 
and oh, uh, right, yeah, right, like he's right. like the radio DJ. That's but right. that one, yeah. I never, I don't know who actually was playing Sammy Kerr, but he was just beautiful when I was like ten. Yeah, um, just wearing that like Motley Crue singlet, um, sure, and and giant hair, which was kind of my qualifications at the <laughs> yes, time period. Yes. How high can you get your hair? Yeah. I know, right? And it, it the the more burnt he got throughout the process of the movie, the higher it got. Yeah. It was it was quite lovely. Um, so yeah, but I think that Trick or Treat was probably one of the ones that we came to think um, when we think of kind of the formula of heavy metal horror. Like that's where some of our traits come in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I know there's a formula, and I, I'm sure it will cover it here. But it's also the playing the song that awakens that opens up the porthole, mm -hmm. right? So I knew even doing Metal Metalocalypse, the fourth episode, we play a song in Finland that awakens a troll. So <laughs> so the thing is you have to and then you have to play a lullaby to put it back to sleep. And I and I, so many movies have used that kind of idea because oh the gate. The First gate, all, yeah. which comes up in a couple of years. The gate is, yeah. um, when is that? 87. So we're not too far, but they have the yeah. band Sacrifix, yes. um, which is a fucking awesome name. Yeah, um, Sacrifix is Sacrifix. a good name. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Yeah, and they do it in The Simpsons around that time yeah. later on, too, where he puts the Michael Jackson uh, album cover on his head, and they're trying to summon the devil through Michael Jackson. Yeah, yeah. And so but in The Gate, they summon, well, The Gate's... Um, gate's it's a record, right? It's a record, mm -hmm. and somehow they end oh. up summoning the demon, the little creatures, the man in the wall. There's a yeah. lot going Inside on. Inside of one. the record, I think the lyrics are instructions. Yeah. Like if you find a portal, an animal has to die on top of it. So the dog dies mysteriously, Correct. and they bury the dog in the hole that is the gate. And then all hell breaks out. The and demon then, comes the, out. The band recorded the album, and then they all died. Like, but that again pulls us back into the outcast because in it we have the character of, I think his name was Paul um, the little blonde kid with glasses his dad had just died and yes. no one understood him and he was like the bad kid at school with his jean jacket with but the patches is on the it. metal kid ever the popular kid in school in any of these shows That's <laughs> a, movies I don't that's a good question I we're gonna have he's to usually the outcast yeah usually like it's, some it's, acid it's always, washed uh, jean jacket and uh, yeah, killer dwarves. He had a killer dwarves patch on. The oh back. yeah, uh, and um, yeah, and then yeah, he was kind of a weird kid who was emotionally troubled in some way, just like Skippy was. Skippy, yeah, <laughs> and and dad's going, stop listening to that garbage, yeah, and fuck yeah. you, old man. And then he and keeps inside going of yeah, then you're empowered through some kind of witchcraft to open up a portal mm -hmm. and bring forth the demon to destroy all things. Um, <laughs> backing up a bit, we had yes. um two kind of back to back rock and roll nightmare in 1987 yes. and um Black Roses in 1988, produced by the same um Canadian company. Yeah. And, I, and you've got Thor. Thor. John yeah. McHale Thor. John McHale Thor. Who is, I love him. <laughs> what's not to love? He's a muscle-bound, handsome man who... Uh, Blonde. Who, who has a... Uh, yeah, and he, he fights the devil. That movie... Um, well, the creatures were great in it, for starters. I had such a fun <laughs> yeah. time with them. The They're, David Lynch creature that's Yeah, in there's it. one yeah. with puffy yeah. hair that's yeah. smoking that looks like David Lynch. Yeah. He was my cover photo on Facebook for that's a while. Um, but that one, I think, also kind of set up uh, this whole kind of heavy metal versus the devil thing that we see. It's Take always... the power back. Yeah. Like, like Striper. Exactly. Uh, yeah, right? We Honestly. have the power with, with Christ. Hell with the yes. devil. 
to hell, hell with, with the, the devil. devil. Exactly. exactly. Um, so yeah, not rock and roll nightmare. Um, it was a band is going to a cabin in the woods. It was kind of like an yeah. isolated yeah. farmhouse to record an album. Where you could see traffic in the background, like going back and forth isolated the entire farmhouse. time. <laughs> and then once they get there, demons show up and one by one, they all start dying. But then at yeah. the air, it's just John McHale Thor and the devil who he calls Bub, which is short for Beelzebub. Beelzebub yeah. And then we find out that this was his guys all along. Was yeah, to, it was fight to trick the devil, the devil into coming and out somehow open, yeah. I have not given away any spoilers in this movie. It's <laughs> no, no, so much worth still it. Watch this movie. Um, and then right after that, they rolled out with. Um, and actually, I do have to say that I find the music in Rock and Roll Nightmare pretty damn good. Uh-huh. It's fun. Um, but then right after that, they rolled with Black Roses, which definitely so, gets a bit more traditional. I don't know that one. So what's that one? So that one um, goes kind of back into what we consider to be kind of the heavy metal, what I'll call the heavy metal trope that we established with Trick or Treat, which mm-hmm. is the loner kid who loves metal. No one else listens to him. And they all start going to this concert in town. This band, um, metal band that never plays anywhere, is playing three shows in this tiny, tiny, tiny little suburban town. Sure. Um, and they're called Black Roses. And they play, um, he convinces everybody in town to go and all the kids go. And they play um, the first 10 minutes, like all of the parents are sitting there and the school board and they play the first 10 minutes and it's like this sweet love song power ballad. And then all the parents get up and leave and he rips off his clothes and is wearing the Motley Crue black sinlet. And then everything becomes, I love Satan. We're going to take the power. And then over the next three days, all the kids start losing their minds and like pledging allegiance to black roses and the devil and um killing their parents that's pretty cool yeah it's an interest i like it's fun no i like that i like what i like about that is that um they it takes a couple days yeah. <laughs> you gotta have three yeah, three to change you it's over like oh you know what the, these guys may have a point and it just talks you into it right and it's all the only person who's catching on to what's going on is the poetry teacher at the local high school who at first oh. is like, oh, this is like their Walt Whitman. They love the sure, Black Roses. Sure. Their school had a poetry teacher? Yeah. That is some major teaches, funding. I know. Oh, and he yeah. wears really good sweaters in it because it was um, 1988. Yeah. And uh, like Cosby A lot of Cosby sweaters. Sweater. Sure. Oh, and nice. then gradually over the next three days, the kids all change over and start completely losing it. But um, yeah, so that was Black Roses. And then by 1990, we get Shock 'em Dead, which is kind of where the, the genre gets self-aware of itself. Yeah. That, that's a pretty interesting, crazy movie. That's uh, I got the Blu-ray recently, and I, I think because I knew that you and I were gonna do this. Yeah. And I and I always I, I'd only seen clips of it here and there. And one of the main reasons, as a guitar nerd, I was attracted to that movie because Michelangelo Battio mm-hmm. from the band Nitro mm-hmm. did all the guitar work, and that guy is like one of the fastest, articulate, most articulate lead guitar players of all time. If you haven't checked out Nitro. Let me just recommend smoke some pot and go on YouTube. <laughs> Master and, of the double guitar. Yeah, and he, oh yeah, and even quadruple guitar because he oh, has yeah. like a four. I think on that one he's got a two, but he can actually harm. He's ambidextrous, so he's got these mute, these string mutes that go at the top of the the neck, and he harmonizes with himself. So wait, he's, he's like, playing two separate things. He's with playing each hand. one one whole guitar that has two necks i remember the yeah. thing from the movie i assumed that it was somehow faked no no, no, no. Like that really is a that, that is a real thing and you can honestly i follow him on instagram and i'm i'm he's a part of my life <laughs> 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 and if you're a guitar in suburbia and growing up 
there was an instructional video that Michelangelo Batio did. He's, you know, he's like a Chicago guy that learned how to play so fast. It's just ridiculous. And his video is incredibly entertaining. And I remember like we were passing it back and forth. One guy got a video. And yeah. so all the guitar nerds in high school were passing this video back and forth. I'm glad you mentioned that because I remember that video. And I was yes. trying to like Ingve Malfstein and yes. him both had these, these video uh, guitar series hours. Yeah. I mean, all the guitar players yeah. did. But but one of the most memorable is Michelangelo Bodios. If you're not a guitar player, you'll still find a lot of joy inside of this <laughs> yeah. thing. It's now, quite good. It is it actually like his hands that we're seeing in yes, the movie? Yes, he is not messing around. And you're hearing crazy blistering fast, like articulate every note picked perfectly um, kind of playing. And that was just, he went above and beyond, decided he was going to deliver the Michelangelo goods. And he plays like a demonic guitar player. So when movie. you are hearing songs like, I'm in love with a slut. Yes, yes, go on. It has got some of the greatest guitar riffs ever. I wouldn't say <laughs> that far. And he still plays like that. I mean, he's still yeah, no, he's, doing that. He's, he's, he's like on the road and he's touring. I mean, yeah. yeah. Is he going to do not do it? Yeah. <laughs> Shock him dead um, definitely goes back to kind of the, the outcast of mm-hmm. where we have an outcast boy who um, essentially sells his soul to the devil to become the greatest guitar player. Yes. Ever. Yes. So we're going back. So, so this is something we did on Metalocalypse, by the way. So there was an episode called blues clock where we go back and it's, it's kind of like, uh, it goes back to Robert Johnson and the, and the deal with the mm-hmm. devil. So, so I, so my, my thought was through that episode was we were already talking to the devil way back when blues was being invented, you know, and, like the early 20th century, you know, or the late 19th. Is that where Robert Johnson dates back to? Like He's I know like 1920s yeah. or something like, or even earlier than that, maybe the 1910s or something. I don't exactly know, but it's still interesting to think of it as going so far back. I mean, the Faustian legend, but the fact exactly, that kind yeah. of as soon as but we was, get blues, that that's reattached. It's to 100% it. the Faustian legend. And it's also uh, the movie Crossroads. Oh, yeah. Walter Hill, Ralph Macchio, Ralph Macchio Steve and Vai. Steve Vai. Yeah. But that is a great, you know, battling the devil for your for the soul of your friend at the end of the movie i love that movie (laughs) it is a great fantasy movie but also its heart is in the right place as far as the music goes too so it was musically authentic you know Mm -hmm. but um but that's the deal with the devil so that's that's the faustian it's uh it's what else is it it's uh phantom of the paradise oh you know too yeah Yeah, there's also pd wheatstraw Peter uh, Weinstein. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah. So the deal, the bar, the deal with the devil, and realizing that you got to, but, but he just turns into a demon. He gets worse and worse and more mm-hmm. evil. And so this, the crazy thing about this movie, Shock of Dead, is that we're, we're like, okay, he's our hero. Oh no, he gets worse every single moment. And we're just yep. watching a guy. It's a tragedy more than anything else, right? Because he keeps, as he gets more powerful, he gets more. He turns into more of a, a terrible, and and someone else has to take him out. Yeah. Right? And so, and it's got Tracy Lords in it, which makes it even more. Fun. That's right. Yep. yep, she's great. And this <laughs> one um, really does feel. I mean, all of the heavy metal horrors up to this point that we've seen throughout the '80s, I think, are very self-aware. They're all kind of um, not necessarily trying to be the scariest movies ever. They're trying to definitely um, be aware of both. They're a little silly. They're too, a little yeah. silly. There's a little like this is like post. Uh, Freddy Krueger when he's yeah. getting funny, you know? <laughs> and I think in general, horror by this time was definitely a lot of it. There was some really scary it's stuff 1990. Is that like Freddy's Nightmares? Is Has that happened yet? It just about. We're almost. 91, yeah. 92, 90, yeah. Okay. yeah. You, also had, you had parody of Metal 2 with like uh, Terror Vision, where John Grease character oh, yeah. is that metalhead wearing the wasp t-shirt. Oh, yeah. yeah you're yeah. right. Yeah. 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 And getting eaten by one. a monster. 
Um, so by this time, Shockham Dad definitely feels a lot more self-aware than the other ones do. Sure. Um, still giving a lot of love to metal, but it's definitely far more comedic. Um, and then I would say it kind of, I, there are some that I will call kind of send outs, but I will say the next one that I think really does lean into this hard would be Deathgasm. Um, uh, okay. So right. skipping a lot. And yeah. I mean, we'll double back and talk about some of the, the smaller ones. But that's ones. the same, uh, that's, that's the same story, right? It's the exact same yeah. story. It's, um, two outcasts, one who's a little bit more hardcore than the other one. Um, both huge death metal fans. Um, find this uh, forbidden album that was never released, play it, and it brings this musician back, but he is part demonic now and brings right. back the devil now, with Refresh it. my memory. Is that is that more um, European-based? That's like, New Zealand. Like, is that, oh, that's it's New Zealand. Zealand. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. Jeff Gazin's okay. New Zealand. And that was in 2015. It did not get a very big release here. I think it mostly okay. got known um, going direct to next, if, Netflix. It felt very black metal uh uh, oh, it's still it's still very um, Scandinavian. Scandinavian, thank you. Yeah, yeah, it definitely yeah. falls into that. And then I've seen when I was um, researching kind of what people were considering to be heavy metal heart, I've seen people putting Lords of Chaos into that, and right, I right. don't know if I would. It's a lot. I more haven't extreme. seen it yet. It's horrifying. Well, I read the book, and that was kind of like required reading for Metalocalypse, <laughs> and that was an important part of that. And and I I knew about Mayhem. I think the first time I, I heard them was in the movie Gummo. Oh my gosh, that movie in itself is just horrifying. Yeah, but that was the first time I heard like yeah. that kind of crazy, screechy black metal, you know, that kind of Norwegian stuff. But I read the book and then I was, I, there was a version of this movie that was being passed around that I was attached as a consultant for. Like oh, wow. 10 years, 12 years ago, like right when Metalocalypse started. And uh, excuse me, that's me. That's my, that's my phone. Um, <laughs> But um, but yeah, so I haven't seen the newest one, which I understand is more of a comedy too, right? It is, and it's weird because it's yeah. both a black comedy. There are points of it where you are laughing, but then you're laughing as they rip out some guy's teeth and like turn them into yes. a necklace. It is. And a, it's horrifying, these horrifying stories. And then when you realize that it's real and it is kind of comedic um, in the way that take. they're portraying it. I, I left it going, I will never forget this movie and kind of what it did to me because when I was looking back, you know, and thinking of this as real and then I went back and started researching the actual true crime that happened on Wikipedia, I yes. was like, I can't believe I was laughing at this. I know. Well, the book itself is more of a dry documentary, just kind of a retelling of events and also going through the history of heavy metal and, mm -hmm. and, and what these guys did who felt isolated from the world and also hated things and wanted to build their own wanted to build their own society basically and then destroy the past a perceived notion of what the past was mm -hmm. and these churches and burn these old churches and everything so it's it's a crazy movie i don't know if that it goes in the category but it's would, it's a heavy metal movie yeah nonetheless so let's double back and talk about some of the ones that we definitely well, consider to be kind of peripheral heavy i'm surprised metal. you didn't bring up heavy metal parking lot at all here. But I see, mean, that's, that's a documentary. <laughs> oh, I admit. It's a 17-minute documentary. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's still, still a brilliant 17-minute <laughs> documentary. It's still damn Shot uh, about uh, a couple miles from where I used to live. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Was that, what is that, Ohio? Like, uh, Landover, Maryland. Maryland, okay. Yeah, yeah Dave okay. grew up in Baltimore. And yeah, nice. definitely. And um, I, I remember badass. not seeing that when it came out, but I saw it in college, like, you know, pre-YouTube when people just come in with a videotape sure, and be like, sure. you know, check this out. And everybody was kind of like having, you know, having a laugh at it. And I'm thinking, no, I 
know these people. I grew up like yeah, down the yeah, road yeah. from these people. Yeah. You had a term for them too that I remember in college. Uh, we called them grits. Yeah, like yeah. the heavy metal kids yeah. were grits where he I grew up. Heard that. I had yeah, neither. Yeah, that was that was a that's new yeah, one. that was a we that was our word. That's <laughs> the Baltimore word yeah. for heavy metal kids in the eighties. Well, I know I think about a lot of movies that have heavy metal in the soundtrack or the soundtrack or the score. I would, yeah, both of them, because in the 80s, while we were having this kind of surge of metal, and when, um, especially when it started becoming a lot more commercial, um, I think that we saw it getting included a lot more like, you know, it became kind of the premier thing Dream of Warriors, Nightmare 3. Yeah, like, right, um, right. Yeah, like the, the dock and attachment to, to Dream Warriors was a huge deal. Yes. And then um, Monster Dog. I don't know if that's a big movie or not, but I owned the soundtrack. Monster Dog. Monster Dog. Well, who? Okay, I don't know Monster Dog. You definitely have either. to check out Monster this Dog. This is why you're the was... professor and I'm the student. <laughs> definitely check out Monster Dog. I can't call it the greatest movie ever, but um, amazing metal soundtrack. What and year is that? I don't even have the year written down. It was definitely '80s, um, but it's a fun one. Um, and then I would definitely say Maximum Overdrive, I recall. Oh, of course. AC yeah. ACDC. a huge thing. Um, and Brendan, you mentioned Shocker today, which I had completely forgotten about. Shocker, which I watched, you know, it's um, I watched that recently. And oh, so that's got a lot of heavy metal stuff in it. It's got no more Mr. Nice Guy covered by Megadeth. Mm -hmm. So it's got Alice Cooper. It's got Megadeth. It's got some super group. Oh, that like so. Desmond Child is a he was like a rock producer too. So he did the soundtrack. They took it all very seriously. They were like, "This is, this is going to be a heavy metal driven thing," and and they're trying to, I think, find a new way to kind of tell a Freddy Krueger kind of story. A guy mm -hmm. that can live in some kind of nightmares or or in TV streams or whatever. He's he, he's a black magic you know murderer guy who just wants to kill families just because that's what he thinks he should do and um and then he worships the devil and for some reason he worships a specific kind of sect of witchcraft that that allows him to travel through tv waves one of our friends brian collins loves this movie so this it movie has, is worth seeing i'll tell you this. it has a yeah. fan base without a doubt and it's i and it's got a, it's got quite a, a soundtrack. But then there was a number of them that just really had really heavy metal scores. And I remember this kind of emerging at a time when we were seeing a lot of like Tangerine Dream and things like yes. that. We really started seeing um, some metal blending. And actually, one of the ones that you mentioned yes. beforehand, I just got the Blu-ray of today being put out by. I already Scream know what you're going to say. Yes. I think the entity. Yes, the entity, which is so odd that it's like these these kind of it's the <laughs> i when i watch the movie, i think it's a really well-made movie i really enjoy it and it's this kind of true story of a woman who was encountered and gets like raped by a goddamn Literally, ghost it's one of the it's, most horrifying so, ghost films because of that where it's for, just yes. not haunting her it's not like you know throwing chairs at her or anything no, like that. No, it's like it's it's like feeling her up it's yeah, horrifying it's really it's really crazy and, and horrifying and and then Ron Silver's in it, Barbara Hershey's in it, and it's got this score. There are these kind of like quarter notes, these kind of like quarter note, um, sorry, uh, like power chords and snare hits, bum, bum, bum. And every time the the ghost comes, it's it does something. It elevates the movie. It gives it this immediacy and this terrifying feeling every single time. And I, and it also you can sing part of uh, 
uh, Metallica's one over it if you want to. So every time that bong, bongo darkness and imprisoning me, <laughs> all that I was absolutely abhorrent. So I do that every time that comes on. So it makes it just fun. It takes a little sting out of it. And I would definitely, um, if we're talking about heavy metal as a score, I would point to the Italians. Um, yeah, we're doing it like back in the late seventies with Goblin, Goblin. Um, and a lot of the the kind of bands that fall into that same giallo realm. Um, yes, because yes. I show Suspiria. It's um, my opening day film for my one of my yeah. classes at USC, and that's usually what the students walk away with: is they remember the visuals, they remember the diegetic versus the non diegetic sounds. But the score is just like banging you over the head the whole time. Yeah, what's these ostinatos? It's like mm-hmm. repeating phrases that keep happening. They can, and, and the thing about ostinatos is... That's a really good phrase. Yeah, but it's a repeating phrase. Mm-hmm. It's a repeating phrase that kind of builds on its own momentum. So it's almost like dance music. When you hear those like four on the floor, quarter notes, like bunk, 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 bunk. And it's and then they take away the stuff and they put it back in and it's just a satisfying thing and for some reason it's also in The Exorcist you know it's like and then and then like tubular bells and things like that too where you're getting these repeating phrases these ostinatos and for some reason Tangerine Dream does that too so you've got these you know these synthesizers that are sequenced and stuff and there's something that happens. There's an immediacy that happens. And this score, and again, like the score is so important in horror, um, but it glues scenes together. It does wonderful things for you if you're in the editor's chair. You know, just having these these cool, like, you know, jagged eighth note phrases that are constantly repeating. It's an amazing thing. And, and that's why Goblin works so well. And that's why Tangerine Dream works so well. And that's why like these crazy, stabby, heavy metal things that mm-hmm. we're talking about from the entity work so well. And then you also mentioned Wild at Heart. Which yes. I'm not as, I, I know the movie really well, but I'm not as familiar with the score. Oh, I love this movie. This movie is like, just David Lynch understands mm-hmm. something about just warped dream logic and all mm-hmm. that crazy stuff. I've, again, I always think movies have to, especially like something horrible, like something that's this weird fever dream of a movie opens up with i think there's always some like dangling of a watch hypnotizing you into your movie right and in this case it's the lovely luxurious fire Mm -hmm. and you just see like a horrible house fire and this is part of the story but you see over credits this you know angelo badalamenti's score and it's you know it's more like lyrical and it's more violins and and this kind of sad tale that it's telling while this fire is burning and this gorgeous flames are taking up the whole and again they they say that you know, just fire by itself is a hypnotic thing. If you stare at a candle long enough, you'll just kind of zone into some weird world. And this is what David Lynch knows. He understands that through his like transcendental meditation <laughs> stuff, you know. And then the first scene happens in this movie. And this is a this is a crazy sequence where we're setting up we're setting up Nicolas Cage and, and his girlfriend's mother. So Laura Dern's mother, who's trying to make a pass at him, and then later on she tries to have him killed by an, like in in like the first five minutes, mm-hmm. really. And he takes this, this is the very, this is like the first reel and the first sequence, really. This guy tries to t- kill him and, or beat him up. And he ends up <laughs> crushing his skull into like marble. And it's just so violent, so fucked up. And not only that, just heavy metal, just blistering heavy metal is, is, is coming out of the speakers at the same time and elevating everything to this maniacal lunacy. And you're like, what the fuck am I watching? And it's pretty goddamn great. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, now I, I have to rewatch it's this. It's worth it because, and then yeah, and and, and um, the they go and they go and kind of 
doo-wop dance to heavy metal. And That's stuff what like I that remember too. is yeah. the doo-wop dance. And his snakeskin jacket and yeah. all the crazy Elvis stuff that he's doing. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have to rewatch this one now. Um, yeah. So any other kind of peripheral heavy metal movies? Well, you know, heavy metal bands show up in other movies too. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, I watched Hellraiser 3 recently oh, and yeah. Armored Saint is there. And um, It's also got Soup Dragons. If I, Oh wait, that's who's doing the soundtrack. And, maybe. Uh, they I, sing that Divine Thing song, but it does, it's got um, the metal band. Yeah, uh, Armored Saint, Armored mm-hmm. Saint. Um, and uh, they're featured nicely inside of that world. So, so yeah, there is something about heavy metal and horror and the two kind of being you know i loved the club in hellraiser 3 like i wanted i think it was called the boiler room i wanted that that was it yeah it was that crazy yeah by that cocky jerk yeah yeah. i wanted that that guy was such an interesting actor he was so confident and strange and he was smoking cigarettes and cool but he was evil and a piece of shit and he was smoking cigarettes while having sex i remember that scene yeah yeah he had really good boots on i just love how the lore people next to the statue yeah (laughs) well (laughs) because that's how you had to kill him just Keep stepping back. If he's in a yes. statue, Pinhead can't walk yeah. to you. Um, yes. He should have seen... thought of that before he became I a love statue. That statue. <laughs> yeah, no, the, sta- the obelisk, it was great. Um, I know that Dave and I were fans of the film um, The Devil's Candy that came out a couple of mm-hmm. years ago. Have you seen that one? I have not seen it yet. It's so really good. Does it have um, some metal in it? Yeah, it's um, a guy in a house. Um, it's very grown-up metal. Yeah, it's, it's like very it's grown-up metal. Yeah, it's grown-up um, metal. Grown-up metal. He, he's yeah. a dad now. He's it's, a dad, but he's still into he's metal. He's still hanging on to the oh, And okay. it's how he bonds with his teenage daughter. And so okay. he is a painter, um, and so the whole family is kind of really into metal. And it's interesting because... For, from Dave and I watching it, it was suddenly like, oh, it's okay that we make our kids listen to metal all the time. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, mm-hmm. okay, kids, this is what we're listening to in the car today. Because he was um, a good dad. Yeah. He was a really good dad. And they, they bonded over it. And they um, the whole family moves into this house. And you find out that the this guy who used to live there, who was the son, who um, he heard voices. And he believed that the only way that he could get the voices to stop, and they told him to kill his parents, um, the only way that he could get him to stop was by playing guitar in his oh, bedroom. Oh, really? And then um, it's got all these these parables where movie. she starts hearing voices um, and how the metal gets used and how dad um, kind of becomes possessed by the entity in the house and it really starts infusing his artwork. Um, and yeah, it's a really, it's a slow burn. And I think there's maybe five people in the entire movie. It feels really, really small, but it's good. It's got mm-hmm. a lot of style to, to it. Check that out. That's the Devil's Candy. It may even be on Am on Netflix now. I feel like it was at one point. Yeah, I think I've seen the title. I've got to check that. Yeah, out. so that one um, I absolutely loved. So any others that were? were I'm trying okay. to think. Lords uh, of Salem was another one that I considered peripheral. Where oh, it's definitely got. Kind <laughs> Did of, you see? I know we talked about this on shockwaves mm-hmm. but turbulence three. Oh my god how did we forget turbulence oh my god, three that was so good it's like, i was i was telling her as we were watching like the movie isn't good but i am engrossed and captivated by yes. this film and i have to watch it through it's to the literally... end it's it's just got like odd reveals and interesting things yeah. that you didn't know and then a big turn that happens later on and 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 the because because i remember i remember hearing about it for the first time and then it was on like one of the streaming sites like Mm -hmm. Tubi or something like that which is like the free one anyway so 
I'm watching. I'm like, I, maybe it's heavy metal. Maybe it is. And I mean, is Marilyn Manson heavy metal, or is he some kind of goth rocky kind it of? It felt like- very. Um, the, what was the movie that came out? It was like this Lestat style. There was a movie that um, I can't even remember which one. It was one of the vampire movies in the '90s where Queen, they had. Uh- the, Queen, the of Queen, Queen of the Damned. That yeah. was it. Right, um, right, where they right. had this yeah. Lestat singer, and yeah. it was almost parroting that. But it had Marilyn Manson. They tones did Marilyn to Manson it. really well, though, in that film. Like, okay. it, it did sound like. Yeah. <laughs> Can we take the time to set this movie up really quick? Oh yeah, my yeah, yeah. gosh! Yes. About, so so yeah so so it's nineteen ninety nine or two thousand one. Yeah, or? I want to say two thousand one. Two thousand one. Yeah. So and what they're gonna do is the first live internet broadcast concert from an airplane so this this crazy metal band which is very oh, maryland mansion pre-9-11 you should yes, say because there were some yeah. things that got clearly. on that plane that should not have. yeah this is yes. clearly pre-9-11 yes. and so this crazy maryland manson-esque band that definitely has this whole like we worship the devil we're satanic we'll do anything yeah. you know kill your brother make out with your mother type thing yeah. um going on really playing into maryland manson's mm-hmm. persona yeah. at the time they decide to perform a stage show on a plane for maybe 30 people yeah if i i in my mind i the number 20 yes yeah i'd say 20 Um, and also they're not cheating it to make it look like it's more than 20 it's about 20 people it's about 20 people no it it really does call everybody i knew we got 20 people yeah Yeah. and then we have this beeline with this um the hacker that didn't want to pay 10 bucks to watch it online so he hacked into the system (laughs) we literally they established that it cost 10 dollars to watch this online but yet for some reason yeah. they're really concerned about the numbers um like making boone sure that the Night numbers sit up <laughs> and the hacker is played by boone from nightbreed yeah. right, sunglasses right. the whole yeah. time yeah. um and he apparently refuses to pay the ten dollars so he hacks into the system so he gets access to all of the yeah. the cameras that's and then right, we have right. a c plot line about this um news journalist music journalist who is there on the plane um looking all gorgeous and she's covering the whole thing but for some reason she also is acting as stage manager because she's telling the band that they need to get on stage and you guys should have been playing your second set by now um so multi multi hats the cast of that though yeah it's like rudger hauer only sits in the cockpit he has the easiest job in the film he's the pilot and he just sits there (laughs) look if you can get an acting job and then just be seated the whole time. Yeah. It's even better. They shot his whole segment in probably two days. But the set yeah. is the setup is that they okay, they're gonna play this crazy show. There's this dramatic scene where them and all the fans go through security and they're yes. all a dick to this the TSA agent. They're oh, all like right, yeah. so mean. And I'm like, dude, she's doing her job. Yeah. But transgression. <laughs> There's a lot to buy in to make this yeah. work. We have to create a world that where a 56K modem concert would be something that's of value to people. <laughs> yep. And um, so somehow they make it off the ground. Rugger Hauer is the pilot, and they're all up there. And finally, the band takes the stage, and they play one song, and it's amazing. And they have this crazy um, set piece where they electrocute somebody mm-hmm. during the set. And then they all clear to take a break, and uh, then they're they're getting ready for the next song. During which time it takes a little too long, and then the lead singer comes out with a gun and takes the whole plane hostage. Right, right. Um, and then it's like, what happened to our lead singer? We love him. Why is he doing this? And there is, um, which is actually some really cool scenes where at first everyone is questioning, is this real or is this part of the act? Right. So, so that's that's the whole thing. Is you see someone electrocuted, and you're like, okay, this is like Alice Cooper, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
yeah. So the so so that's part of the question that the movie's asking. But so um, yeah. yeah, it's a lot of like, is he really killing these people? And then they're like, oh yeah, he really did shoot that guy. And then, um, but it doesn't have to be part of the turbulent turbulent series. I noticed is like it could yeah. stand alone. It totally stands by itself. Yeah, it could. But at the same time, um, and this is where it gets confusing. So the pilots at the beginning are like fuck these kids, we hate these kids, let's drive them through this crazy fucking storm. But then we find out that one of the pilots is kind of in on it, so why he decided to do that is beyond right, me. But their right. whole motivation um, is that, and and I won't do the big plot twist, because then we have um, Marilyn Manson trying to save the day at one point, um, but the kind of whole motivation now is to drive the plane to a place called Still, Kansas, Stall, Kansas, where they believe there is a gateway to hell and they're going to crash the plane into this gateway to hell to open up the hell pit to the other realm, to open right. up the hell mouth. Right. And so, thus creating hell on earth. That's the goal. Yeah. And so that's the whole motivation of the movie. And then people on the plane must stop so, this from happening. Yeah. So in order to create the hell on earth, you got to create a band, get a gig be important enough to get a gig in a plane in, in a plane by the way i've never played a show on a plane <laughs> before it's the pressurized I, I would think would mess with your ears a bit yeah, i mean yeah. it's just yeah it'd be strange if your monitors and all that stuff is just yeah. in general i find planes to be really unpleasant like yeah. it's just not pre, a nice place pre, to be 9 i wasn't comfortable on a plane i don't yeah. want to see a band on a plane and i don't look i don't want to see a band anyway yeah. <laughs> it's just too much to get there yeah but, and now uh, on the plane um it, they just looked uncomfortable to yeah. begin with but somehow um they the plane itself i found rather impressive because they're all in their seats and then you can go upstairs and they have like a little lounge area that's right and then they're like okay the band's taking the stage and they literally pull back a curtain and it's like a warehouse with corrugated steel walls and all this lighting scaffolding hmm. inside the plane and i was like okay i'm still here with you sure, let's do it sure. and they have this whole backstage area um which is lavish yeah. so. uh, if you ever read the uh, the chuck pa uh, i'm gonna butcher his last name chuck, chuck Palonic. Palonic. uh the uh, survivor the the I didn't read that book one, no. he did. And Marilyn Manson was supposed to star in the movie, but it was about a cult leader who hijacks a plane. And his whole goal is to just fly the plane until it runs out of gas and crashes. Um, it has a similar sort of feel to that. And I think they were going to make a movie about it, but I think that 9 right. killed that one as well. But yeah, it's got that similar kind of uh, vibe to it. Yeah, I remember but, that book. Yeah. But um, Turbulence 3, it, though I wouldn't say that it has tropes of any of the other heavy metal horror mm. films, um, it's just batshit bonkers and you have yeah, to see it. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. It starts nuts and it ends nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just, it's a wonderful little kind of um, I Like all one. the plot twists that you're talking about, I like remembered three of them. I was like, because there's a lot going on. There's so yeah. many more oh that God. I'm yeah. not even mentioning. Know, there's like a whole love story going on yeah. too. Oh. And yeah, there's a lot Between of between the FBI and the hacker, yeah. There's no, but little... there's also on the plane between the cameraman oh, yeah, and yeah. the fangirl who wants to be a journalist. Right, there right. are so many oh, other like little, man. you know, C and D and E storylines. It's it's a but lot. it will hold your attention through the throughout oh the my whole God, thing. Yeah. It's just yeah. No, it was a blast. So I think that um, Turbulence Three is definitely the way to uh, kind of wrap up our um, summary of all the films. So then my question becomes. Is there a space for another heavy metal horror film? I mean, Deathgasm came out a couple of years ago. 
didn't do as well as I would have liked to have seen it done. Um, if we have another heavy metal horror film, like what state does it need to be in? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably okay at this point to 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 say we've done the movie where we use music to awaken a demon. And, <laughs> I think we've uh, seen that one. I think we've seen that one. Oh, I played guitar on a movie that did a similar thing, but it was more of a comedy than a horror movie, uh, a movie called Nights of Bad Aston by oh, Joe Lynch. I oh, I love yeah. Joe. Joe's yeah, yeah. Fun. So yeah. I played guitar on that. That's awesome. Bear McCreary cool. did the music and, and we've collaborated in a couple different things. Mm-hmm. So I played guitar in that movie and, um, and I played guitar. There's uh, the new Godzilla's coming out. Mm-hmm. I played some guitar on that one, too, with oh, Bear McCreary, who did the score for that one. So. Bear did some work um, back at Fangoria probably decades ago somehow. I, he even wrote, maybe wrote for us. I remember seeing his name a lot. Yeah, so. he's awesome. He's yeah. a really talented dude. He and I did the the Doomstar record, which is an hour-long rock opera, death clock thing that we did with like a 50-piece orchestra. I so. would love to see more rock operas. I, I love I love, love me a rock opera. Rock opera yeah. so much. Yeah. Even just like metal musicals. I feel yeah. like we never got enough of them. So I think you're right to say that. But yeah, yeah. so that's what I want next. I want a uh, a cinematic rock opera. I think, you know, just the power of metal as, as a part of a score is something that I think, you know, when a lot of people write movies, it's funny. I was actually talking to Bear today, and I, and I think, you know, when I write stuff, I try to write in how I'm hearing, you know, cause sometimes the music can do all the heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. It's a shortcut. It's an emotional shortcut to what you really want to feel. Cause all we're trying to do is man- manipulate people, right. And make them feel things, feel scared, feel romance, all that stuff. And music is the shortcut to do that. And it really works. And I think, uh, you know, for, for film composers, it's really, imp- it's really important to leave that space open. And, um, and you can really twist the knife with heavy metal. Again, watch the entity. There's nothing heavy metal about the movie other than it's terrifying and it's this horrible recounting of someone's true story with ghosts, mm-hmm. as far as we know. And But again, there's something so off-putting about that that really is really works in a nightmarish way. Completely. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, thank you so much Thanks for, for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. It's my tonight. pleasure. It's my pleasure yeah, to talk excellent. about heavy metal and horror films. That's all I want to do. <laughs> I know. And where can everybody find you on um, socials? You can find me in my house, uh, hanging out. Assuming that you don't want them all to come there to find you. <laughs> I do. Uh, no, you can find me uh, on Twitter um, at underscore Brendan Small. Someone got my name first. <laughs> or, or, or at Brendan Small on um Instagram. Excellent. You can see pictures of guitars and dogs if you want to. <laughs> All of ours is just horror movies and our kids. Yeah. Occasional I, yeah. dog and spider. Yeah, yeah, and then like a couple Blu-rays where I'm like, hey, check this out. Yeah. Here's so. a movie. Excellent. Well, thank you so much Absolutely. for joining us. Um, please, thank you so much for listening to uh, Nightmare University. Please rate us on iTunes. It really does help. And check us out on socials. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we will see you next week for another Office Hours. Thanks so much. Good night.
Nightmare University is a Fangoria Podcast Network original produced and hosted by Rebecca McKendry, producer Natasha Pacetta, executive producers Dallas Sonnier and Phil Nobile Jr., associate producer Jessica Safa-Vemer, art and design by Ashley Detmering, sound recording design and mixing by David McKendry, music by The Serpentines, for Fangoria, Brandon Wynerdy, Jason Koslerich, and Rachel Wilson.